0: And welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to all of those annoying teams that you're playing on your socially, virtually distanced online pub quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia.
1: Hey, Jewel. Hi. Hi. Um, I miss trivia a lot. I mean, we're doing Learned League. That's like... Kind of it right it's, it's now. It's kind of it right now. I mean, I know Geeks Who Drink is are doing their Tuesday, Thursday like
0: Twitch stream yeah. thing. There's a lot, there's a lot of great opportunities for trivia, especially in the evenings mm-hmm. online. We have several friends that are running different ones. Sure. Um so if you if you need any recommendations, we're happy to give you some. Uh, but yeah but it's just not we go to same. bed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we go to bed kind of early. Yeah, true, true, true. Also,
1: it's just not the same. It's you know, not the same. When you physically go somewhere, and that's when you can make eye contact with the annoying team mm-hmm. and be like, Did you just see what they did? And they're always the ones that, like,
0: when they announce the answers, they're always like, Yeah! Yeah. Like,
1: after every question, yeah. it's like, All right, we get it. You got it right.
0: Or, they're, or they have that uh, just anytime anybody does the team name my couch pulls out but i don't you know you get kicked out i'm kicking you out you're out of here you're already you're my goodbye. enemy
1: goodbye come up with something better anyway uh, god but anyway i miss it we? i miss that <laughs> i miss i miss that that hating another group of people without yeah. any real use. or knowing
0: or seeing some table with the phones out Ugh, that's the worst and then tattling <laughs> on them cuz <'cause> whatever <laughs> that's the best
1: <laughs> <laughs> but anyway um, hopefully we will get back to that at some point in the future, and you know what? I have hope for that. Great. Um, but uh, so today I was, you know, this week I've been thinking like, what should I do for a topic? Because um, I'm, you know, we're rusty. I haven't done it all summer. Yeah. And you'd think that I would like start writing down things as they came to me. Nope, didn't do that. Yeah. Um, and then it, and then it hit me, like like a bunch of baked goods. <laughs> that's a that's a little hint for you. Uh, w- today we're going to talk about. Uh, the danish storyteller hans christian andersen okay so uh my topic is called uh ugly duckling hans christian andersen and that will there's multiple meanings to that yeah we'll come back to that <clears throat> this guy <laughs> this guy all right so Hans Christian Andersen. He was born in Odense, Denmark, on April 2nd, 1805. He was an only child. Strike one. Am I right? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Uh, His father, who was also named Hans... uh, I'm married. I'm married to an only child, so I can say that. Uh... (laughs) His father, also named Hans, considered himself related to nobility. Apparently, his paternal grandmother has told his father that their family had belonged to a higher social class, Mm. but apparently investigations have disproved these stories, so Ah. not true. Um, There was a persistent speculation suggesting that Anderson was an illegitimate son of King Christian VIII, uh, but this has been also disproved, (laughs) so he was just a normal-ass kid from a normal-ass family. Um, His father, who had received an elementary school education, introduced his son to literature, reading to him the Arabian Nights, which was nice. Um, His mother, Anne-Marie Anderstotter, was an illegitimate washerwoman. And following her husband's death in 1816, she remarried in 1818. However, after her husband's death, she couldn't afford to keep... Uh, her household up even though it was just her and her son yeah so at 11 years old anderson was sent to a local school for poor children where he received a basic education and had to support himself working as an apprentice to a weaver and later to a tailor so you say age 11 age 11 he was sent off to school and then he had to basically like
0: like work for now you have
1: a job yeah and you have to go to school so congratulations So at 14, he moved to Copenhagen to seek employment as an actor. Uh, Having an excellent soprano voice, more on that later, he was accepted into the Royal Danish Theater, but his voice soon changed. So that kind of fell flat. How about that? Um, A colleague at the theater told him that he considered Anderson a poet, and taking the suggestion seriously, he began to focus on writing. Um, so Jonas Collin, who is the director of the Royal Danish Theater, had held great affection for Anderson and sent him to grammar school in Slagelse, uh, persuading King Frederick VI to pay part of the youth's education. Apparently, who was not his real dad? Who was not his real dad? And apparently Denmark is so small that you can just like write the king and be like, hey, I have a poor kid. Can you Any chance? Any chance? Spare a shekel. And old King Freddie was like, sure, wrote a check and sent it off. What? But you know, whatever, there are less people then, I guess.
0: <laughs> so so there were less people there then. There were
1: less people then. There's seven billion billion people on this God earth right wrong. now. Like there were far less then. This is, you know, this is the nineteenth century. Anyway. Um, Jonas Collin and by extension his family would become uh, lifelong friends, and Jonas Collin would be his benefactor his entire life. Is it um, too
0: late to get a
1: benefactor? Oh, absolutely not. I think you can get a benefactor because they're basically financially supporting you. So we can get a benefactor, right? Hey, if you are interested <laughs> in being a benefactor for two very funny and very intelligent ladies who have their own podcast, please contact us at MissInfoPod at gmail.com. We will not do any sex stuff. No, absolutely not. This is platonic, educational purposes only benefactoring, okay? Okay. So we're saying that right now. You will not get pictures of our feet. No. Absolutely not. Nope. Julia is a mother now. We will <laughs> not do that. <laughs> anyway, what was I saying? Uh, Benefactor. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so Anderson by then had published his first story, which was called The Ghost at Pelnotoke's Grave, which was published in 1822. Um, he was only f- uh, 17 at the time. Um, Although not a stellar pupil, he also attended school at Elsinore until 1827, and he later said that his years at this school were the darkest and most bitter of his life. Oh, boy. There he lived at his schoolmaster's home, and was abused there, and was told that it was done in order to improve his character. Um, He also later said that the faculty had discouraged him from writing, which then resulted in a depression, because he felt that that was like his goal in life. Mm -hmm. So little trivia here the earliest fairy tale written by Hans Christian Andersen is called the tallow candle okay um it was not discovered until October 2012 in a Danish archive um the story was written in the 1820s while Andersen was still in school and it was about a candle that did not feel appreciated that's all
0: what yeah yeah real (laughs) Real one to one. He's like, I gotta, I gotta write something. <laughs> I gotta turn something <laughs> in. Oh my god, god what, what's um, around me? Uh sh- sh- there's a ca- candle. No, okay.
1: candle, candle, done. And it doesn't feel appreciated at all. <laughs> Quick, write this off. Um, the it was written uh, and dedicated to one of his benefactors. He had multiple okay. benefactors throughout his life. Um, the story remained in that family's possession until it turned up among other family papers in a local archive, which is mm. how they found it. So, <clears throat> back to his life. In 1829, Anderson enjoyed considerable success with the short story, quote, A Journey on Foot from Holman's Canal to the East Point of Amager. That's the whole story. That's the whole story. That's, you don't need to know anything <laughs> more. That's what happened. Um, its protagonist meets characters ranging from St. Peter to a talk- talking cat. Uh, And Anderson followed the success with a theatrical piece called Love on St. Nicholas' Church Tower and a short volume of poems. He made little progress in writing and publishing immediately following the issue of these poems, but he did receive a small travel grant from the king in 1833. Again, the king just like throwing money at this guy. This enabled him to set out on the first of many journeys throughout Europe. At Jura, near Lake uh, Lalachla, Switzerland, uh, Anderson wrote the story Agnate and the Merman. That same year, he spent an evening in the Italian seaside village of Sestri Levante, the place which inspired the title of The Bay of Fables, which is another story that he wrote. Mm. He arrived in Rome in October 1834, and his travels in Italy were reflected in his first novel, which was a fictionalized autobiography titled The Improvisatore, or The Improviser. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was published in 1835 to instant acclaim. Like, oh, okay. He became famous off of this book specifically. Was it in Italian? Um, it was uh, translated into Italian. Okay, it was originally called Improvisatorin, which is the D- improviser in Danish. Danish yeah, yeah, <clears throat> as you might expect. So, fairy tales told for children. This was his first fairy tale foray. Okay, um, the first collection. Uh, it's a collection of nine fairy tales by Hans Christian Andersen. <laughs> Um, as you may imagine, uh, they were published in a series of three installments between 1835 and 1837, and um, were, again, his first venture into the fairy tale genre professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, the stories included in the installments were The Tinderbox," mm-hmm. Little Claws and Big Claws, The Princess and the Pea, and Little Ida's Flowers. The second installment included Thumbelina, The Naughty Boy, and The Traveling Companion, and the third booklet contained The Little Mermaid and The Emperor's New Clothes. Um, The installments were later combined into one volume and sold as one volume Mm -hmm. uh, by like 1839. Danish reviews of the first two booklets appeared in 1836 and they were not enthusiastic. Ah. Uh, The critics disliked the chatty, informal style and immorality that flew in the face of their expectations. So they did not seem fun people. Um, Children's literature was meant to educate rather than to amuse. Mm -hmm. So one could make the argument that Hans Christian Andersen was kind of the first fairy tale writer to also i mean there's a lot of like morality tales don't get sure. me wrong we'll get into it but um they're like fun and funny and entertaining sweet and entertaining and they weren't originally you know like it's not
0: supposed not to be just that way like, read your prayer book
1: yeah god will save you you know or he won't you'll go to hell um, so it's very hot there. <laughs> it's very hot. You did not want to go there. Um, the critics uh, ultimately discouraged Anderson from continuing in the style. Hmm. They were like, you're not going to become famous doing this. So stop while you are ahead. Um, Anderson believed that he was working against the critics preconceived notions about fairy tales and he temporarily returned to novel writing. Um, and the critics reaction was so severe that Anderson waited a full year before publishing his third installment, which is why, um, the last installment came so much later. Oh. So in the 1840s, Anderson detention again returned to the theater stage, but with little success, he had better luck with the publication of the picture book without pictures, which was published in 1840. Um, also, a second series of fairy tales was started in 1838 and a third series in 1845. And he was now celebrated throughout Europe, although his native Denmark still showed some resistance to his pretensions. <laughs> so everybody in Europe was like, we love these fairy tales by this crazy Danish guy. And uh, Denmark was like, he's not that great. <laughs> Stop talking about him. Um, so, in 1851, he published in Sweden a volume of travel sketches. Um, the publication received wide acclaim. Uh, a keen traveler, Anderson published several other long travelogues, including "Shadow Pictures of a Journey to the Harz, Swiss, Swiss Saxony, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. That's the name of the title. <laughs> <laughs> Just
0: it's, throw a couple more etcetera. Yeah, in the there. title
1: is "Shadow Pictures of a Journey to the Harz, Swiss Saxony, etc., etc., etc." Blah blah blah. He published this in the summer of 1831, A Poet's Bazaar in Spain, and A Visit to Portugal in 1866. Um, So A Visit to Portugal describes his visit with his Portuguese friends, Jorge and Jose O'Neill, who were his friends in the mid-1820s while he was living in Copenhagen. Um, So he was like, Portugal, that sounds so cool. And so his friends were like, come visit. So he did and then wrote about it and made a lot of money. Um, in his travelogues, Anderson took heed of some of the contemporary conventions related to travel writing, but he always developed the style to suit his own purpose. Each of his travelogues combined documentary and descriptive accounts of his experiences, adding additional philosophical passages on topics such as what it is to be an author, general immortality, and the nation of, nature of fiction in literary travel reports. And some of the travelogues, such as In Sweden, even contained fairy tales. So it was just a mishmash of like his thoughts... And people wanted to read it. Oh, they loved it. It sounds very plodding, but you know, people just ate it up. Um, so let's talk about Hans as a person, his personality. All right. So as an adult, it seems the general consensus to be that Hans Christian Anderson was just a real weird beard. Like he was just, he was just a, strange person. out there he was out there um he had a tr- traumatic childhood as you mm-hmm. can imagine and he was frequently bullied for his general shyness and his high speaking voice which he even oh. though his voice had changed and he couldn't sing in a soprano anymore he still had like a naturally high speaking voice okay uh he also most likely had some serious mental health issues mm. as you could possibly imagine <clears throat> so in anderson as a novelist kierkegaard ah, his fellow yes. dane uh remarks that anderson is characterized as quote A possibility of a personality wrapped up in such a web of arbitrary moods and moving through an elegaic duodecimal scale of almost echoless, dying tones, just as easily roused as subdued, who, in order to become a personality, needs a strong life development. Jesus, Kierkegaard. I know.
0: He's like a cool, cool friend. What the... F- <laughs> what? That was the nicest thing he could write about <laughs> That's him.
1: apparently the nicest thing you could write about him.
0: He's a hint of a personality. He's
1: barely a person. This guy. <laughs> what? So, okay. So, in 1847, Anderson met his literary hero, Charles Dickens. Okay. <gasps> Loved him. Charles oh my God. Dickens. Yep. Met him at a party. It was his first trip to England, and he enjoyed a lot of social achievement that summer, thanks to his recent publishing mm-hmm. success. Um, So they shook hands and they walked to the veranda, which Anderson wrote about in his diary, quote, we were on the veranda and I was so happy to see and speak to England's now living writer, whom I do love the most. So he was like into him. The two authors respected each other's work and as writers, they shared some important things in common, including depictions of the poor and the underclass who often had difficult lives affected by both the Industrial Revolution and by abject poverty. Mm -hmm. So they had a lot to talk about. Um, In the Victorian era, there was a growing sympathy for children and an idealization of the innocence of childhood. So they both kind of had common ground in that way. Um, They kept in touch via letter. And a decade later, Anderson came to stay with the Dickens at the British author's home in Kent, England. And you remember this. (laughs) So the visit was meant, and Julia mentions this in her, Dick, in her Dickens episode, the visit was meant to last two weeks at most, but Anderson ended up staying five weeks to the dismay of the Dickens family. Uh, on his first morning there, Anderson proclaimed that it was Danish custom for one of his sons of the household to shave their male guest instead of complying the family set him up with a local barber smart Uh Um, Anderson was also prone to tantrums at one point throwing himself face down on the lawn and sobbing after reading a particularly bad review of one of his books so not somebody who's like in super control of his emotions one would say Um, once Anderson finally left Dickens wrote and displayed a note that read Hans Anderson slept in this room for five weeks which seemed to the family ages (laughs) Um, after Anderson was told to leave, which how embarrassing would that be? I would want to sink through the ground and just never live a single <laughs> moment again. Anyway, Dickens gradually stopped all correspondence between them. This to the great disappointment and confusion of Anderson, who had quite enjoyed the visit and could never understand why his letters went unanswered. Oh, <laughs> poor little guy. Um, he also had a lot of phobias. He was afraid of dogs. He didn't eat pork because he worried he would contract trichinée, a parasite that can be found in pigs. Uh, He kept a long rope in his luggage while traveling in case he needed to escape a fire. Um, He even feared he would accidentally be declared dead and buried alive. So before bed each night, he propped up a note that read, I only appear to be dead.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow, this guy had a lot of peccadilloes, if you will. Ooh, it gets better.
1: So, in Anderson's early life, his private journal records his refusal to have sexual relations.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Anderson often fell in love with unattainable women, and many of his stories are interpreted as references. At one point, he wrote in his diary, quote, Almighty God, thee only have I. Thou steerest my fate. I must give myself up to thee. Give me a livelihood. Give me a bride. My blood wants love as my heart does. A girl named Reborg Vogt was the unrequited love of Anderson's youth. A small pouch containing a long letter from Vogt was found on Anderson's chest when he died several decades after he first fell in love with her, and after he presumably fell in love with a ton of other women. Uh Um, Other disappointments in love, including uh, Sophie Usted, the daughter of the physicist Hans Christian Usted, and Louise Collin, the youngest daughter of his benefactor, Jonas Collin. Uh, One of his stories, The Nightingale, was written as an expression of his passion for Swedish opera singer Jenny Lind, and became the inspiration for her nickname, The Swedish Nightingale.
0: Ah, how about that? So it was
1: Anderson that dubbed her that. Um, He was often shy around women and had extreme difficulty in proposing to Lind. Uh, When Lind was boarding a train to go to an opera concert, Anderson gave Lind a letter of proposal. Her feelings toward him were not the same. However, she saw him as a brother. Writing to him in eighteen forty-four, "Farewell, God bless and protect my brother," is the sincere wish of his affectionate sister, Jenny. Which is like, ooh, that's cold. <laughs> I like you like a brother. You're like my, Yay, brother. You like my brother, Hans. You're just like my brother. A oh, poor thing. Also, Anderson certainly experienced same-sex attraction as well. Mm -hmm. Um, He also was a little bit in love with Edvard Collin, the son of Jonas Collin and the brother of his sister, Louise Collin. Uh, He wrote to him, quote, I languish for you as for a pretty Calabrian wench. My sentiments to you are of those of a woman. The femininity of my nature and our friendship must remain a mystery. Can you tell me more what a Calabrian wench is? A Calabrian wench? Um, I'm assuming it's a Spanish wench. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: maybe assuming it's a-, a pretty butterfly. <laughs>
1: maybe it is. Yeah, maybe. Like, oh, I just I just love bugs so much. And you're just like a Calabrian wench. <laughs> no, he definitely was into this dude. Um, Colin, again, also, much like Jenny Lind. Uh, Colin preferred women he wrote in his own memoir quote I found myself unable to respond to this love and this caused the author much suffering which is kind right like he that was nice of him that he wasn't like ew gross he was just like oh no sorry bud not me Uh, Likewise, the infatuations of the author for the Danish dancer uh, Harald Scharf and Carl Alexander, the young hereditary duke of Saxe-Weimar Eisnach, did not result in any relationships. So it seemed like he was just getting getting nothing from anybody. Yeah. Poor guy. Declined. Just declined. Everyone was like, no, no, you'll find somebody. And he didn't. So in 1872, in his late 60s, Anderson fell out of his bed and he ended up getting severely hurt. He never fully recovered from the resultant injuries. I don't know how tall his bed was or how brittle his bones were, but he was like, really like got messed up. Uh, Soon afterwards, he started to show signs of liver cancer. Hmm. He died on August 4th, 1875 at age 70 in a house called Rolyud, which is literally calmness or tranquility. Hmm in Danish, um, near Copenhagen, the home of his close friend, the banker, Moritz Melchior, and his wife. Shortly before his death, Anderson had consulted a composer about the music for his funeral, saying, quote, most of the people who will walk after me will be children, so make the beat keep time with little steps.
0: That's kind of... It's kind morbid.
1: Of <laughs> yeah, it's kind of morbid. Um, his body was interred in Corp- Copenhagen in the family plot of the Collins. Um, however, in 1914, the stone was moved to another cemetery um, where younger Collin family members were buried. And for a period, um, his, Edvard Collins's, and Henriette Collins's graves were unmarked. So Edvard and his mm. wife, Henriette. Um, a second stone has been erected marking H.C. Anderson's grave, uh, now without any mention of the Collin couple, but all three are still there in the same plot. So the Collins, oh, okay. their 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 headstone was like, "Boop, it's gone." So uh, at the time of his death, though, Anderson was internationally revered, and the Danish government paid him an annual stipend as a quote national treasure. Which, how do I get that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it seems like the king has been kind of like financially supporting this guy since he was little. And uh, LT wants a little piece of that. I think we got to move to Denmark. I guess so. It's so small. I bet we could make a... I bet we could really like make a splash. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the size of Western New York. I mean, how... Please. Anyway. So that's his life. I'm going to tell you a little bit about his most famous stories. So I'm just going to tell you the story... Give you, like, a quick overview of it and some, like, little, like, trivia about the story. Super. Great. Okay. So, the first one, Thumbelina. Yeah. Yeah. What's that about? She's small. She's a tiny little girl. So, the story starts, a woman asks a witch for a child, and the witch gives her a barley corn, which is not a child, but she plants it after it sprouts. Tiny girl, Thumbelina, comes from its flower. She's like, yawn, stretch, I'm a tiny girl. One night, Thumbelina, asleep in her walnut shell cradle, aww, she's carried off by a toad who wants her as a bride for his son so but she escapes with help from a fish and a butterfly and then finds shelter from winter from a kind field mouse who then turns around and tries to marry her off to her neighbor who is a mole so, Thumbelina flees again because she doesn't want to marry a mole, thanks to a swallow that she helped earlier. And then, in a sunny field of flowers, Thumbelina meets a tiny flower fairy prince just her size and to her liking, and they get married. So, she receives a pair of wings because he's a fairy. Okay. Um, and they travel from flower to flower, and she gets a new name, Maya. So, she's no longer Thumbelina, her name's Maya. In the end, the swallow is heartbroken once Thumbelina marries the flower fairy prince and he flies off eventually arriving at a small house. And there he tells Thumbelina's story to a man who is implied to be Anderson himself who chronicles the story in a book. So there you go. Thanks.
0: You're welcome. It's like... (laughs) (laughs) I got more of these. It sounds like something got translated weird along the way, right? No,
1: apparently this is like... And people were like, yeah, oh, I love this. It's a great story. Um, Apparently, the story was uh, Anderson was inspired by Tom Thumb, which is actually like a very old story Mm -hmm. going back to at least the 16th century, if not earlier, and other stories of miniature people. Mm -hmm. So that was his inspiration. All right. Second story. The Emperor's New Clothes. (laughs) Please. Please. So, two swindlers arrive at the capital city of an emperor who spends lavishly on clothing at the expense of state matters. Posing as weavers, they offer to supply him with magnificent clothes that are invisible to those who are stupid or incompetent. The emperor hires them, and they set up looms and go to work, and a bunch of officials, and then the emperor himself, visit them to check their progress. And they all see that the looms are empty, but pretend otherwise because they don't want to mm-hmm. seem like they're oh They're like, stupid. oh, jeez, I'm yeah. stupid. Mm-hmm. I can't see it. Finally, the weavers report that the emperor's suit is finished. They're like, come on by. Um, They pretend to dress him, (laughs) and then he sets off in a procession before the whole city, and the townsfolk uncomfortably go along with the pretense not wanting to appear inept and insipid, uh, until the child blurts out that the emperor is wearing nothing at all. The people then realize that everyone has been fooled, and although startled, the emperor continues the procession, walking more proudly than ever. Um, apparently the emperor's new clothes was based on a medieval Spanish story with Arab and Jewish sources. So this has been an, like this Mm -hmm. type of story has been around a long time on the eve of the third installments publication. Like just before the story got published, Anderson revised the finish of the story. Um, originally the original ending was just, he just keeps walking and Mm -hmm. everyone's like, Oh yeah, he's pretending. Um, but then he changed it to it's now familiar finale of a child calling out. The emperor is not wearing any clothes. So, Alright, the red shoes. Yikes. Yeah, this one is rough. Anyway. A peasant girl named Karen. Her name's Karen. We'll talk about it. Um, she's adopted by a rich older lady after her mother's death, and she grows up vain and spoiled. The 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 old lady spoils her. Um, her mother buys her a pair of red shoes fit for a princess, and she's so enamored that she wants to wear them to church. But her new mother says, You have to wear black shoes to church because mm-hmm. that's what God wants. But she wears the red ones anyway because she is a misbehaving little wench. And as she Co- is about to... From ta- Calabria. Yep, yeah, we come fooling around. She's a Calabrian wench. As she about to enter the church, she meets a mysterious old soldier with a red beard. And he says, oh, what beautiful shoes for dancing. Never come off when you dance, he tells the shoes. And he taps each of the shoes with his hand. So after church, Karen cannot resist taking a few dance steps and off she goes as though the shoes controlled her, but she finally manages to stop them for a few minutes, right? Mm-hmm. So, after her adoptive mother dies, an angel appears to her bearing a sword and condemns her to dance even after she dies as a warning to vain children everywhere. She's like, "You're going to die until you're going to dance until you die, and then you're going to dance some more." Karen, to her credit, begs for mercy, but the red shoes take her away before she hears the angel's reply. Karen finds an executioner and asks him to chop off her feet, and he does, but the shoes continue to dance even with her amputated feet inside of them so gruesome so the executioner gives her a pair of wooden feet and crutches thinking that she has suffered enough for the red shoes karen decides to go to church so people can see her and then Mm -hmm. they can they can be like oh man at least i don't have these wooden shoes lord bless me nope her amputated feet still in the red shoes dance in front of her barring the way to church So when Sunday comes again, Karen dares not go to church. Instead, she sits alone at home and prays to God for help. The angel reappears, now bearing a spray of roses, gives Karen the mercy she asked for. Her heart becomes so filled with peace and joy that it explodes. Her soul flies on to heaven where no one mentions the red shoes. (laughs) Disney didn't ever use this one, surprisingly. Nope, they didn't. So Anderson named the story as anti-heroine Karen. After his half-sister, who he hated more than anything, her name was Karen Marie Anderson. (laughs) So she is now um, immortalized immortalized as a horrible little girl. All right, something equally as horrible, The Little Mermaid. Mm. It's not Mm -hmm. Disney. So The Little Mermaid, who will henceforth be referred to as The Little Mermaid, because she never got a name in the story, at least. Mm -hmm. Um, She's 15 when she finally gets to see the surface world for the first time right apparently they get she's to see not her. a child she's not a child i'm a teenager daddy um so when she when her turn comes because they can only go once a year uh she rises up to the surface watches a birthday celebration being held on a ship in honor of a handsome prince as you could imagine and she falls in love with him immediately because that's all you need a violent storm hits it sinks the ship little mermaid saves the prince from drowning she drags him to shore um she delivers him to a shore near a temple And here she waits until a young woman from the temple and her ladies-in-waiting find him. But to her dismay, the prince never sees Little Mermaid or even realizes that it was she who had originally saved his life. So the mermaid visits a sea witch, Mm -hmm. uh, a.k.a. Ursula, after she learns that humans don't live very long and their souls go to heaven when they die, while mermaids live 300 years and then they turn to sea foam when they die. So this is important for later. Sea witch gives her legs in return for her voice and she cuts out her tongue. So the witch warns Little Mermaid that once she becomes a human, she will never be able to return to the sea again. Mm -hmm. Also, her legs are the worst and feel as if she's walking on sharp knives all the time and they bleed constantly. So in addition, she will obtain a soul only if she wins the love of the prince and marries him for then a part of his soul will flow into her. Mm -hmm. So she gets a part of his soul. So otherwise, at dawn on the first day after he marries someone else, Little Mermaid will die with a broken heart. So she's like, great deal. She gets her legs. I'm in. I'm in. I love this. I like my odds. She goes up to the surface. The prince thinks she is the tits because she's hot. And also she's a great dancer, which he makes her do all the time, even though it's super painful, right? No tongue though, right? No tongue. So she can't tell him this hurts. But her legs are like obviously bleeding. You know what I mean? So anyway. So then this asshole marries the temple girl from the beginning because he thinks she's the one who saved him from Mm -hmm. the shipwreck. So, nevertheless, Little Mermaid starts to die of a broken heart, but her mer-sisters arrive to give her a magic dagger that they bought with their hair. They cut off all their hair, and they bought this dagger. And they said, if you kill the prince and let his blood drip on your legs, you'll get to go home as a mermaid again. But she doesn't do it, because she's an idiot. And then she dies, but the air spirits take pity on her and say she can get a soul and go to heaven if she does good deeds for humans for 300 years. Some consolation prize
0: wow wow
1: right so apparently it's influenced by Delamotte Fouquet's Undine from 1811 Ah, yes and of course lore about mermaids in general Mm -hmm. Um, and this tale specifically established Anderson's international reputation Mm -hmm. like people went bananas for the little mermaid they were like this is amazing
0: which is like what the fuck anyway
1: like so far these women are having a rough go yeah so, a little bit happier, princess in the pea. Yeah. Right? Hey. Story tells of a prince wants to marry a princess, but is having difficulty finding a suitable wife. Something is always wrong with those he meets, and he cannot be certain that they are real princesses because they have bad table manners or they are not his type. So, one stormy night, a young woman drenched with rain seeks shelter in the prince's castle. She claims to be a princess, so the prince's mother, the queen, decides to test their unexpected, unwitting guest by placing a pea in the bed she has offered for the night, covered by huge mattresses and 20 feather beds. In the morning, the guest tells her host that she has endured a sleepless night kept awake by something hard in the bed that she is certain has bruised her. With the proof of her bruised back, the princess passes the test and the prince rejoices. Only a real princess would have the sensitivity to feel a pee through such a quantity of bedding, so the two are married. The story ends with the pea being placed in a museum where, according to the story, it can still be seen today unless someone has removed it.
0: <laughs> yeah. I always just pictured climbing up top of 20 mattresses like that sounds fun.
1: Yeah, that's it doesn't. I mean, you think you'd get bruises from that, you know, <laughs> that's a long way to go. Um, apparently, this may be based on a Swedish folk tale because mm-hmm. there are there have been similar tales of like people putting peas in beds and someone being sensitive. Ironic enough. that falling out of bed might be what killed him. Oh, my God. You're right. I didn't even think about that. Oof something to think about anyway the ugly duckling right mm-hmm. so when the story begins a mother duck's eggs hatch one of the little birds is perceived by the other birds and animals on the farm as an ugly little creature and suffers much verbal and physical abuse from them they like beat him um, so he wanders sadly from the barnyard and lives with wild ducks and geese until hunters slaughter all the flocks so he's alone again He finds a home with an old woman, but her cat and her hen tease and taunt him mercilessly, and once again, he sets off alone. So the duckling sees a flock of migrating wild swans. He is delighted and excited, but he cannot join them, for he is too young and cannot fly. Winter arrives a farmer finds him and carries the freezing little duckling home but the foundling is frightened by the farmer's noisy children and he flees the house. He spends a miserable winter alone in a cave on a lake that partly freezes over and when spring arrives a flock of swans descends on the lake. The ugly duckling now having fully grown and matured is unable to endure a life of solitude and hardship anymore and decides to throw himself at the flock of swans deciding that it's better to be killed by such beautiful birds than to live a life of ugliness and misery. He is shocked when the swans welcome and accept him only to realize that by looking at his reflection in the water that he has been not a duckling, but a swan all along. (gasps) The flock takes to the air and the now beautiful swan spreads his gorgeous large wings and takes flight with the rest of his new family. So this was definitely a metaphor for Hans himself. He did say at one point in an interview, it was, quote, a reflection of my own life. Which is kind of sweet and sad. Um, The little match girl Oof, another rough one. Yeah, so on a freezing New Year's Eve, a poor young girl shivering and barefoot tries to sell matches in the street. She's afraid to go home because her father will beat her for failing to sell any matches. So she huddles in the angle between two houses and lights matches to warm herself. And in the flame of the matches, she sees a series of comforting visions. And in the sky, she sees a shooting star, which her late grandmother had told her means someone is on their way to heaven. In the flame of the next match, she sees her grandmother, the only person to have treated her with love and kindness. To keep the vision of her grandmother alive as long as possible, the girl lights the entire bundle of matches. And when the matches are gone, the girl dies. And her grandmother carries her soul to heaven. The next morning, passers-by find the girl frozen and express pity. They do not know about the wonderful vision she has seen or how happy she is with her grandmother in heaven. Yikes. (laughs) So, little match girl, relights a bunch of matches, sees her grandmother, goes to heaven. The end. All right, the Snow Queen.
0: (laughs) Now this one, Disney Disney said, Yes please Yes. We'll pass on the little match girl. Yes, we'll pass on
1: the little match girl. Let's get a little look at the snow queen. Well, if you've seen Frozen, this will not be familiar to you. So this is another morality tale where a girl named Gerda and her neighbor friend Kai are best buds in love until Kai gets the devil's mirror shards in his eyeballs and turns mean and then is whisked away by the evil snow queen to her icy palace and Gerda searches everywhere to find him even though everyone else thinks he's dead and she finally finds him and brings him back to life with her warm tears and they dance and dance and they leave the palace and they go home. That's basically it. It's much longer You lost me
0: at devil's mirror shards. Okay. So at the beginning of the story,
1: the devil is like, hey, guys, well, he's with his demons. So, you know, and he's like, hey, guys, I have this awesome mirror. And every time you look in the mirror, you see uh, everything is awful. Okay. So I'm going to go up to people. I'm going to show them the mirror. And they're going to be like, oh, everything's uh, awful. And they want to like kill yeah. themselves. So he's flying around the world with his mirror and his demon friends and they're laughing, ah, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> I don't know why they're laughing. They're really excited about this mirror and they're laughing and they're laughing and the vibrations of their laughter shatters the mirror and the mirror falls all over the earth and then people get the shards of mirror in their eye and so because they get the shards of mirror in their eye, all they can see is bad things.
0: It's
1: oh. that's, that's rough. <laughs> this was really hard to so let it go. I didn't see Frozen, but is that part of it? <laughs> So he based, so he based this evil Snow Queen on Jenny Lind after she rejected him.
0: Oh, that's kind of funny.
1: Yeah, which is like you could tell he's he's kind of a shady queen. Um, he it's also apparently the basis for Frozen, but by the time Disney like yeah. went through like several iterations of it, it doesn't rec- it's not recognizable at all.
0: Um, there's a, there is a nod to Hans Christian Andersen in. In the film, uh-huh. there are characters named Hans, Christian, Anna, Sven.
1: Oh, oh. If you put that That's together. very good. That's basically the only thing left from it, mm-hmm. it, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, just a couple more. The Steadfast Tin Soldier. Do you know about this one? I'm it was, getting a vague, like... Yeah, you'll, you'll recognize it. So, on his birthday, a little boy receives a set of 25 toy soldiers, all cast from one old tin spoon, and he arranges them on a tabletop. However, one soldier stands on a single leg as having been the last one cast, there was not enough metal to make Mm -hmm. him whole. So nearby, the soldier spies a pretty paper ballerina with a spangle on her sash, like a little, um, uh, what's that called? Sequin? Sequin on her sash. He's like, Ooh, she's shiny. So she too is standing on one leg and the soldier falls in love. Hey, we both only have one leg. Both of us make two legs. Um, So that night, a goblin among the toys in the form of a jack-in-the-box, as you would imagine, who also loves the ballerina, angrily warns the soldier to take his eyes off her, but the soldier ignores him. So the next day, the soldier falls from a windowsill, presumably the work of the goblin, and then lands in the street. Two boys find the soldier, place him in a paper boat, set him sailing in the gutter. And so sailing on, the boat is washed into a canal where the tin soldier is swallowed by a fish. So you can imagine. So when the fish is caught and cut open, the tin soldier finds himself once again on the tabletop before the ballerina. He's back home. Inexplicably, the boy throws the tin soldier into the fire, which is most likely the work of the -the jack-in-the-box goblin. Yeah, yeah. Um, A wind then blows the ballerina into the fire with him, and she is consumed by it. The maid later cleans the fireplace in the morning and finds that the soldier has melted into a little tin heart. Along with the ballerina spangle, which is now burned black as coal. Jesus Christ!
0: The der- right, Toy Story Five, I right know, here. It's very dark.
1: So, anyway, and then finally the nightingale. Mm-hmm, okay. Um, So the emperor of China learns that one of the most beautiful things in his empire is the song of the nightingale. Um, When he orders the nightingale brought to him, a kitchen maid, the only one at court who knows of its whereabouts leads the court to a nearby forest where the nightingale agrees to appear at court. Uh, And it remains as the emperor's favorite. He loves it so much. When the emperor is given a bejeweled mechanical bird, he loses interest in the real nightingale who returns to the forest. She's like, I don't need you. The mechanical bird eventually breaks down and the Emperor is taken deathly ill a few years later. The real Nightingale learns of the Emperor's condition and returns to the palace, whereupon death is so moved by the Nightingale's song that he allows the Emperor to live. Mm. The end. Um, It's believed to have been inspired by the author's unrequited love for opera singer Jenny Lind. So he wrote the Nightingale thinking like, I'm gonna marry this girl. And then when she was like, no thanks, he was like, that's fine. Snow Queen, evil lady. So that is, uh, I mean, there are more stories, but those are like the main ones that you probably would have heard of. So my quiz today is called Princesses and Peas, a quiz on royal ladies and legumes. Question number one. Let's start with Disney, of course. There are 12 animated members of the officially branded Disney Princesses franchise, which doesn't include all the princesses in the Disney canon, just a select few. Can you name me the earliest or first Disney princess and the most recent? Question number two. Name this legume. Also called Lucerne elsewhere in the world, this perennial flowering plant is used for grazing and hay, and their sprouts are often used in South Indian cuisine. Here's another hint. It's also the name of a children's rascally gang member from a series of shorts. Question number three. Born in Philadelphia, actress Grace Kelly rose to fame during the 1950s for her roles in Dial M for Murder, To Catch a Thief, and The Country Girl. In 1956, she became a princess when she married Prince Rainier III, who was the ruler of what principality? Question number four, lentils are a staple in many cuisines around the world, and split lentils with their hulls removed are often cooked into a thick curry eaten with rice or rotis, which is called what, which is the name of both the dish and the split lentils themselves. Here's a hint, it has nothing to do with a child's toy. Question number five. This Egyptian princess married the future pharaoh Amanhotep IV when she was just 15 years old. She began her rule about 1353 BC, and she was known both during her time and today for her unprecedented beauty. She and her husband started the Aten cult, which has dictated that the sun god was the only one of ancient Egypt's many deities worthy of worship. Her husband respected and admired her so much, he made the unheard of move of treating and depicting her as his equal. In some art pieces, she's even shown wearing a pharaoh's crown. Who is this princess whose name means beautiful one? Question number six Chickpeas are a staple of vegetarian and vegan cuisine, thanks to their high nutritional content and variety of applications. You can even use the water of canned chickpeas as an egg substitute for baking and cooking. What is the term for this water, which literally means water bean? Question number seven. There are several princesses in this animated fantasy television series. Well, probably because Equestria is a relatively large kingdom. Characters include Princess Celestia, Princess Cadence, Princess Flurry Heart, and Princess Twilight Sparkle, amongst others. What is this television show that delights both children and bros alike? Question number eight. Did you know that there are legume trees? Wisteria is one, while another is also referred to as golden chain, thanks to its pendulous yellow pea flowers that bloom in spring. What is the common name of this flowering tree, which is also extremely poisonous? Question number nine. I always assumed Little Dude was Zelda, but what do I know? I don't play video games. Here's a totally easy question for video game people. What is the name of the main protagonist in the Legend of Zelda video game franchise? And finally, question number 10, we're going to play a little game called legume or nut. Just tell me if it's a legume or a nut. One, almond. Two, carob. Three, pistachio. And four, acorn. We'll give you a minute to think about it, and we'll be right back with your answers.
0: I sail up the Skagerack and sail down the Caddy Through the harbor and up to the Cay And there she stands waiting for me With a welcome so warm and so gay Wonderful, wonderful Copenhagen Friendly old girl of a town neath her tavern
1: light on this merry night let us drink and drink one to wonderful
0: wonderful coin saw the old queen of the sea. You ready? Let's do it. Okay. All right.
1: Question number one. Let's start with Disney. There are 12 animated members of the officially branded Disney Princesses franchise, which doesn't include all of them, just a select few. Can you name me the earliest or first Disney princess and the most recent?
0: Earliest is Snow White. Yes. It's like 1938. Mm-hmm. Um, who would be the latest Disney princess? <sighs> oh, Moana. You are correct. It is Moana.
1: The franchise has released dolls, sing-along videos, apparel, beauty products, home decor, toys, and a variety of other products, including wedding gowns and wall paint. They have like a deal with Glidden, which is crazy.
0: Yeah. There's like special jewelry. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. They really like commodified this. Um, Just so you know, the list in order is Snow White, Cinderella, Aurora, who's Sleeping Beauty, Ariel, Belle, Jasmine, Pocahontas, Mulan, Tiana, Rapunzel,
0: Merida, and Moana. We're keeping Disney princesses out of our household.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, you know what? I'm fully on board with that. I think I would probably do the same. (laughs) Question number two, name this legume. Also called lucerne elsewhere in the world, this perennial flowering plant is used for grazing and hay, and their sprouts are often used in South Indian cuisine. Here's another hint. It's also the name of a children's rascally gang member from a series of shorts. That's alfalfa. It is alfalfa. So instead of the crop, I'm going to tell you about our gang our little (laughs) rascals. So the films were created by studio executive Hal Roach, who is best known as the man behind the comedy duo Laurel and Hardy. And the series was produced in various formats from 1922 to 1944 and is known for showing children behaving in a relatively natural way. Roach and original director Robert F. McGowan worked to film the unaffected raw nuances apparent in regular children rather than have them imitate adult acting styles. Um, the series also broke new ground by portraying white and black children interacting as equals, mm-hmm. which was a big deal at the time. The nineties movie is still great. Is it good? It's I g- I never saw it, but You never
0: saw no, it? No,
1: I you know, I just oh. I haven't seen
0: a lot of movies.
1: I know. I'll add it to the list. I'll add it it's to the list. It's so
0: good. Like, I heard it's, it's very still good. holds up. Yeah. All right. All right, I'll I'll add it. Dear Darla. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> no, I won't do it. But that so Alfalfa really likes this girl named Darla. And but the boys are like, We're the He Man Woman Haters Club. You can't like a girl. So he writes her a note that he's like a love note to send her. And the boys are like, We're not letting him send that. So <gasps> they write a note and it's like, Dear Darla, you make me sick. <laughs> You're the scum beneath my toes. I hate you. Oh my god. Alfalfa. And then she's like Oh, that's so sad. She gets that letter instead. That's Hilarity ensues. Oh,
1: okay. I'm glad hilarity ensues, not like horrible things. It's it's a very charming movie. (laughs) All right. Okay. Question number three. Born in Philadelphia, actress Grace Kelly rose to fame during the 1950s for her roles in Dial M for Murder to Catch a Thief and the Country Girl. In 1956, she became a princess when she married Prince Rainier III, who was the ruler of what principality? Monaco. It is Monaco. Um... Kelly retired from acting at the age of 26 to become princess of Monaco. I didn't realize it was that early. Um, Honestly, a great idea. Um, And she died in 1982 from a stroke while driving. I thought it was a
0: car accident,
1: but yeah, she had a stroke while she was driving, which her
0: daughter was in the car with her. (gasps) Oh, I didn't know that. Oh my God yeah it's like they were supposed i forget where i read i forget where i heard about this so normally like their chauffeur would drive everybody around and then that day grace was like no i want to drive my daughter back to the train station and they were like going down this windy mountain road and that's when the accident happened
1: she was so beautiful yeah she was like the original of like the icy blondes in the 40s and 50s because she had that kind of very scandinavian look which was very popular Okay, question number four. Lentils are a staple in many cuisines around the world, and split lentils, with their holes removed, are often cooked in a thick curry eaten with rice or rotis, which is called what, which is the name of both the dish and the split lentils themselves. Here's a hint. It has nothing to do with a child's toy.
0: Hmm. I don't. I don't have anything. Okay, it's called dal. Ah, D A A L or D A L.
1: Um, dal can also be other split legumes like beans or peas. So, uh, question number five: This Egyptian princess married the future pharaoh Amanhotep the Fourth when she was just fifteen. She was very beautiful. She was equal to him. Uh, she is even shown wearing a pharaoh's crown in some art pieces. Who is this princess whose name means beautiful one? Is this Nefertiti? It is Nefertiti. Um, For more on Egyptian mythology, head back to our Mythology May episode number 94, Animal Heads and Gods of the Dead by Julia. It was very good. Question number six, chickpeas are a staple of vegetarian and vegan cuisine thanks to their high nutritional content and variety of applications. You can even use the water of canned chickpeas as an egg substitute for baking and cooking. What is the term used for this water, which literally means water bean? It's aquafaba. It is aquafaba. It's Latin for water bean. Um, I didn't realize how late aquafaba became like a thing. In December 2014, vegan musician Joel Rosal found that water from canned beans can form foams, much like protein isolates and flax mucilage do. Rosal shared his experiments mm-hmm. on a blog and published recipes for floating island of Chevelle, chocolate mousse, and meringue made from chickpea liquid to demonstrate its foaming capabilities. Yum. Yum. <laughs> Question number seven. There are several princesses in this animated fantasy television series. Well, probably because Equestria is a relatively large kingdom. Characters include Princess Celestia, Princess Cadence, Princess Flurryheart, and Princess Twilight Sparkle, amongst others. What is this television show that delights both children and bros
0: alike? It's My Little Pony. P- friendship is magic. It is. My Little
1: Pony. Friendship is magic. It debuted in 2010 and ended in 2019. Um, there's supposed to be a spin off series called my little pony pony life that's coming out later this year so okay, stay tuned we'll for go. that yeah apparently it's very good like the like sophisticated storylines and very lovely animation You're i haven't not seen it myself it. i'm not gonna watch it but you know what kudos to those who do question number eight did you know that there are legume trees? Wisteria is one, while another is also referred to as golden chain, thanks to its pendulous yellow pea flowers that bloom in spring. What is the common name of this flowering tree, which is also extremely poisonous?
0: There's a Lennon Purnum character from uh, Comedy Bang Bang, maybe? What? <laughs> and- I think that this what this is because I can never remember the name of the plant until I do the Lennon Parnum character. Okay, please. I think it's Forsythia.
1: No, it's no. not. I'm sorry. It's Laburnum. Okay. There's a street off of Monroe called Laburnum because it has a lot of Laburnum trees. Um, very creative. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, all parts of the plant are poisonous, although, mora- morality. although morality is very rare. They are... <laughs> evil plants. Mortality is very rare. Uh, Symptoms of laburnum poisoning may include intense sleepiness, vomiting, convulsive movements, coma, slight frothing at the mouth, and unequally dilated pupils. If you'd like to know more about poisonous plants, please check out episode 37. These plants can kill you. Very good. Question number nine. I always assumed little dude was Zelda, but what do I know? I don't play video games. Here's a totally easy question for video game people. What is the name of the main protagonist in the Legend of Zelda video game franchise? His name is Link. It is Link. There are 19 incarnations of the video game since its inception in 1986, and it is one of Nintendo's most prominent and successful franchises. Several of its entries are considered to be among the greatest video games
0: of all time. The Legend of Zelda is in the World Video Game Hall of Fame, located at the Strong National Museum of Play in Rochester, New York. In
1: sunny Rochester, New York! Question number 10, we're going to play a little game called legume or nut. Just tell me if it's a legume or a nut. You ready? Number one. <laughs> oh, were you ready? I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Number one, almond. Nut. Yes. Number two, carob. Legume? Yes. Number three, pistachio. Nut. Yes. And finally, number four, acorn. Legume. No, that's ah, a nut. Fuck. FYI, a nut is a fruit composed of an inedible hard shell and a seed, which is generally edible. A legume is the fruit or seed of a plant in the family Fabaceae. So, a
0: legume is specifically <laughs> Lauren. That a family. would have helped me so much earlier <laughs> yeah, if yeah, you would okay. have told me the name of the family. <laughs> yeah,
1: okay.
0: Fabaceae.
1: <laughs> I didn't know that. I had to put like a pronunciation <laughs> guard next guide next to it. Anyway, so that was my quiz on princesses and peas. Wonderful. Thank
0: you. I hope everybody learned
1: a lot. Yeah, I hope so. Because <laughs> what else are we doing? Yeah. Do you have anything to plug, Lauren? Uh, maybe not this week. No, I am. I'm an author and I wrote a book. So check it out 500 Patterns on Amazon. Pre order, it helps or, us out. Or
0: talk to your indie bookseller. Or, yeah, your talk independent to your local bookseller. Indie, yeah,
1: independent bookseller. See if they've got. Um, you know, five hundred patterns in stock. It's I co-authored it. Well, they can it. order it. Yeah, they That's can the order thing. it. You in. go to them. You say exactly. I want
0: this book, and they go great, and they'll get it. Yes, and, and then, then they'll they will get, it get in. the money instead of instead of evil, the evil empire. Yes, exactly. So please
1: check it out. It's coming out March twenty first of this coming year. Uh, pre-order it for Christmas. I don't know. You have any friends who really like patterns? <laughs> she'll work on this spiel. She'll I'll work. You know what? By the time it comes out, I
0: was off the cuff. I mean,
1: by the time it comes out, I will have such a, just a great elevator pitch that you guys are just going to go crazy for. So (laughs) stay tuned for that. (laughs) Anyway, um, thanks so much for listening, you guys. Yeah,
0: we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.